Hey everybody, we're really excited to have Brian Chaffin on the episode this week. We'll be back next week with a whole new season, and we're excited to get that started. But first, we wanted to give you some of our best of episodes, and we think that Brian is a great example of what we're trying to do. It's a very personal story to him, and we think it's one that can mean a lot to our listeners. So we hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you next week with a new episode. I knew from uh, the get-go that I loved her and, you know, she was the one for me. And, you know, we both had a kind of a background in kind of serving the Lord and all these other things. Welcome to Creating Community, a podcast designed to bring area leaders, business owners, and others together to better our community. I'm your co-host, Jake Starkey. And I'm your other co-host, Dorian Strickland. We're the owners of 1820 Coffee House and 1820 Marketing in the heart of Alvin, Texas. Today, we're recording from the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce once again. For more information about the chamber, visit alvinmanvillechamber.org. If you're a first-time listener, we encourage you to subscribe to hear more. Creating Community with Dorian and Jake is available wherever you get your podcasts or at 1820marketing.com slash podcast. We'd love for you to subscribe to stay up to date with us and the community. In this episode, we're sitting down with Brian Chaffin. Welcome to the show, Brian. It's nice to be here. Yeah. Uh, we appreciate you coming in for sure. Yeah. So our goal is to talk with people and learn from business leaders, politicians, and other interesting people. This episode is the latter. It's going to be a little different because we typically kind of break it into who you are and then your business. But this time it's going to be all about you and your family. He called you an interesting person already. I I hope I'm interesting. I don't know. Yes. Well, I would say from our short discussion we've had before this, I think you are. So you definitely have a good story. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about growing up. You lived here growing up in Alvin. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Alvin. Um, Love the city. Um, you know, Alvin High School, uh, graduating class of 2000, the whole bit, played baseball, was in the band, all kinds of good stuff in high school. Great experience. Um, and so, yeah, Alvinite for life, and um, except for a year-long stint in Uganda, but we'll get to that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure, for sure. That's fair. Alvinite for life. Yeah, so I don't want to give up that uh, so easily. Um, I do love the city. Um, I love making the city a better place, more interesting, uh, if, if that's the case. Um, and yeah, so my wife is kind of a similar story. She in, showed up here in uh, third grade when her family moved here from nice. kind of the Bear Creek area. Oh, yeah, kind of west, west side of Houston. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, she's been here ever since as well. And um, similar experience to me, great high school experience. She was uh, class of 03, uh, jacketeer, NHS, all that kind of stuff. So she nice. was super active and super uh, into school life and things. And so... Um, yeah. I mean, so when, when did you guys get together? Yeah, so actually we met, it was uh, it was kind of scandalous, I guess you'd say, when it happened. <laughs> I was a senior, she was a freshman. Oh, uh, no. So it, it doesn't matter so much now, I guess. <laughs> but back in the day, yeah, it was kind of a big deal. Um, put it this way, uh, her older sister, Sarah, you know, shout out to, to Sarah Raker here. <clears throat> she uh, actually... Um, helped convince her mom <laughs> to let oh, us go wow. uh, on some uh, double dates and supervised dates. So actually for the first uh, almost year and a half, her uh, her little sister, Victoria, went on uh, every date pretty much that we went on. But it was totally worth it. I knew from uh, the get-go that I loved her and you know she was wow. the one for me. And, Fantastic. And we both had a kind of a background in kind of serving the Lord and all these other things. That's fine. Uh, yeah, we actually made it, uh, the, I don't know if you all remember, the Journey to the Rock Ministries. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, that's it was like this little Christian kind of yeah. club thing. Yes. Yeah, that was exactly where we met. Yeah, That's awesome. Very so cool. My wife grew up, her older sister, her sister's seven years older, and she was Victoria. She had to go on the dates <laughs> yeah. so that that way she would behave. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get it. 
Very cool. And well, I did not meet my wife until later in life, and we have a bigger gap than you do. So now when she says, uh, what were you doing and what was she doing? People ask what she was doing when I was a senior. I would rather not say. <laughs> so, had I met her then, I would be a creepy old man right now. There you go. That's funny. <laughs> but it's cool that y'all knew each other from school and all the way up. So where did you go to college? Because I know you're a teacher. I don't... Yeah, so um, so I started out here at ACC, um, got my associates. Uh, yeah, kind of a dolphin for life, yeah. And then uh, I spent a semester at Stephen F. Austin. Um, actually followed... Um, one of my best buddies up there, Robbie McGee, and uh, also Jodine was up there as well. So we uh, we had fun. They they actually ended up graduating from there. Uh, I went for a semester, missed Laura so bad. Uh, I was coming home every weekend. Uh, I couldn't do that anymore, so I ended right. up uh, coming to University of Houston main campus. Yeah. Um, so go Cougs! Uh, doing really good in basketball this year, by the they way. Are. Yeah, yeah. Um, made the tournament, right? Uh, yeah. A little side note: I I taught uh, Tremont Mark. Oh, uh, their, uh, nice. They're a superstar freshman. Very he, cool. He was in my his history class in eighth grade. In That's very cool. Nice. So anyway, a great kid. But, uh, but yeah, um, yeah, I went to the University of Houston, graduated with a, a bachelor's in business um, in marketing. Um, yeah. And so <clears throat> I was an accountant for, you know, uh, it was about eight years, kind of full charge bookkeeper here in town for a local company. And, uh, and then I kind of got the itch to you know, switch careers and I've been teaching since uh, 2014, yeah. And you said so, you're down in Dickinson? In Dickinson, so, yeah. What made you choose Dickinson? Well, uh, at the time, that's where my wife was teaching as well. Okay. She was at McAdams Junior High, which is where I'm at right now. And there was uh, there happened to be, you know, in God and his providence, he, he sort of directs things, I think. And uh, <laughs> right. there was a, an opening in a history position, which I loved history. History was actually my minor in college. Oh, nice. And, uh, you know, I was really interested in it. And plus, I wanted to get my foot in the door somewhere, and I thought this would be a great place. And uh, that's, that's where I'm at currently. You know, I've kind of put down roots a little bit there at, in yeah. Dickinson, and so uh, some really good people over there. Nice. Yeah. So let's back up, because you said you got a degree in business and in marketing, and then you did accounting. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> you know, I have several people I went to school with yeah. that did the exact same thing. It's weird. Accounting yeah. seems like a horrible job. I got lots of people to do it because I can't. You know, I'm not going to disagree with that. Um, Shout out to the CPAs. There you go. Exactly. Yeah, it's so I didn't do a lot of tax things. I was more like uh, managerial type stuff. Um, and so I did some like some minor forecasting and some tax things and stuff. But like uh, it was uh, it was more kind of payroll, APAR type stuff and kind of day to day operations. But yeah, I mean, for, for what it was, it was a great great opportunity for me. I'm forever grateful to, uh, you know, Rick Pallage, RDL energy services. Um, that's who I work for. Um, and then, so the transition to teaching was that because, and we'll get to Uganda, but mm-hmm. was it kind of an, did they intersect? Did they overlap or was it just, they started to, yeah. So there was, uh, really throughout kind of my, my stint at RDL, which lasted about, you know, through kind of all the way through 2013, kind of first month or so of 2014, me and Laura had really been considering, you know, growing family because we, we didn't have any children for the first, you know, many years of our marriage. And we started kind of exploring why. And so we got into uh, fertility doctors and the whole bit. And so we, we started kind of going down that road a little bit. So we had a choice. Like God really kind of put us at a crossroads a little bit. And uh, it was more of what we felt led to do. And I think in the end, sort of adoption was on the table, IVF, those types of treatments were on the right. table as well. Sure. Um, and we, we kind of, we used to go on walks all the time. We just loved walk. That's how we kind of aired things out and, uh, you know, really talked to God together and stuff like that. And so, uh, it was on one of those walks. We just kind of one day 
confirmed with each other almost in our spirits, like adoption, you know, the adoption is our path that we, uh, that we want to take. We feel God leading us to. And so, uh, we, we did look at sort of my job at that point as well. And kind of, cause I had already been studying for, uh, alternative certification kind gotcha. of for a few okay. months prior to this. And, uh, we, we thought it was time. And so God confirmed it. It was actually the day she got off for a Christmas break that year in 2013. We got a text that night from her principal saying that hey, we had this opening. Would you be interested in it? I was like, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Fantastic. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So, and then uh, that following, uh, following uh, fe- February is when I started. So I kind of had that little half year when I got introduced to teaching, but. Nice. Wow. So yeah. that's a pretty quick turnaround from the time you got offered to the time you started. Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it was kind of boom, boom, boom. And uh, we, we kind of, I think had a lot of confirmation in that um, just even in deciding that the adoption, because we had started the adoption pre approval process in September, 2013. So that's when kind of our adoption journey truly began officially yeah. and then sort of career change in the middle of it and all these other right. things. Yeah. We, it was, it was a hectic time in our life, but it was a sure. good time, a good time. And so you mentioned your, you've talked a little bit about your faith. So let's talk about that. Did you grow up going to church? What, like how did, when did, when did your faith grab a hold of you? Well, I did grow up, in church, for sure. Um, my wife jokes all the time that I was born in the Methodist church, <laughs> like on the pews or something, uh, um, which is not literally true, but it's kind of uh, figuratively true, I guess. But uh, I did. I grew up in the Methodist church here in town from a really early age. remember all the children's ministry things and just going to Sunday service, Sunday school, all those uh, you know, typical church memories. But it wasn't really until, honestly, uh, my junior year of high school. Uh, I remember it pretty uh, vividly. Um, I was at a breakthrough kind of spring retreat with our youth group. And I remember Scott Crenshaw was the speaker and Chris Tomlin of all people was the worship what? leader wow. back, back before Chris Tomlin was, uh, was big, I guess. But yeah, he actually taught me and Robbie how to play a song, a little side note there, but wow. Um, but anyway, okay, that's was, pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. <laughs> you right? just brushed right over that. That's exactly. kind of cool. Yeah. But yeah. It was, uh, one of the nights there at, at the breakthrough camp and, uh, I accepted Christ as my savior and, uh, I felt uh, a noticeable difference. You know, some people say it's it's subtle and all these things. I felt a very vivid, stark difference in how I walked forward. Because yeah. um, I don't I don't have a, a testimony like some people do. Um, you know, I was selling drugs or I was a gang member or anything right. like that, and then I became a Christian. Like that wasn't my story. I was a kid who grew up in church, but didn't necessarily ever get it. You know, sure. And then this this one night, God just spoke to me and said. Um, you know, here I am, here's, here's what I'm offering you. And I, I guess at, at some point we are ready in our spirit to receive it, I guess, um, cause it is a gift of grace. I, I just wasn't ready to receive it before, even though I was being t- told about it a lot, right. I guess. And so, um, yeah. Um, so yeah, I've been a Christian ever since and there's ebbs and flows and ups and downs, but that's uh, perfectly normal, I think. And, uh, but I think my Christian faith helped not just guide me in certain ways, but also, comfort me in uh, seasons of heartache for sure. Yeah. I, I think there's a, um, there's a lot of young people that are, are just like you. Cause I'm one of those that I went to church all the time as a kid, but I didn't really get it. Mm-hmm. Right. I never went to vacation Bible school or anything like that, but I think there's a lot of people that do. And that's when they have that moment that you're describing. And so you know, what What are your thoughts as far as your kids going to VBS and those kind of things or revivals or? Yeah, um, well, it's kind of it's kind of funny. You kind of bring up the, the kid aspect of it because Elijah, our, our oldest son, he's 13 now. Um, 
he vividly remembers uh, before we even went to Uganda initially to, to meet him, uh, there was a tree, there's a mango tree, I believe, uh, at Amani Baby Cottage in Jinja, Uganda, that he remembers sitting under, um, praying, distinct like praying to God for, for, for parents and family and all these things. So I think kids certainly have the ability to have an understanding of God's power and his his but just his presence too, his love and, and all these things. So, uh, you know, Elijah has always been sensitive to spiritual things and whatnot. Uh, as far as our other two, we take them to church regularly and they go, yeah. they're part of the kids program and they love it. Um, you know, Jonah, our little one, he runs out all the time and shows us what he colored and, yeah. you know, and what, what he learned that day. And so, yeah. and then David, he's, he has a sweet spirit too. So it's, uh, you know, they, we, we read the Bible every night together. I mean, that's part of our nighttime routine. Um, and they, they eat it up, you know, because, I mean, I, I know for a fact, you know, culture at large is not necessarily feeding kids scriptural truth. Um, and so that if they're going to get it, it's probably in their home. And so me and my wife have been really dedicated to that, like making sure, even if it's a little kid's story Bible, like they're getting a truth from God's word right. in the yeah. way that they can get, you know. So, yeah, yeah we love giving them God. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so we kind of buried the lead here, which is that you've been to Uganda and that's where the adoption journey kind of led you. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But before that, let's hear a little bit from our sponsors. Hey everyone, it's your friendly neighborhood realtor, Parker White with New Villa Realty. It's not a secret the real estate market is red hot right now. Whether you have a dream of becoming a homeowner, your family's growing, and you need more room, or if you're an empty nester, I got you covered. New Villa Realty specializes in helping our clients achieve their real estate goals through a stress-free process and open communication 24-7. You will never be left in the dark, and I will be there with you for any questions you may have. Connect with me today so we can sit down and get you where you want to be. My phone number is 281-678-1811 or email me at Parker at Nuvilla Realty, N-U-V-I-L-L-A.com. I would love to meet you. I'm Jamie Scafidi, President and CEO of the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce. The Chamber of Commerce exists to provide support to businesses and organizations in the Alvin and Manville area. With various networking and marketing opportunities every month, the Chamber can help you grow your business. Learn more at alvinmanvillechamber.org. Hey, we want to take a quick moment and tell you a little bit about 1820 Marketing, the producers of this podcast. We believe that when businesses have quality marketing, it gives business owners the freedom to focus on what they do best. We design websites, produce videos, and create marketing materials that help clients grow their business. Find out more at 1820marketing.com. It's something different. And now back to the show. So 2014, you transitioned from one job to another, you're in the process of adopting, trying to decide, I'm assuming where to adopt, right? Because there's, there's multiple options in this world, in Texas, in America. What led you to Uganda? Yeah, that's not a country that you hear a lot that people are adopting from, I don't think. Yeah, especially at the time. Um, well, I mean, to kind of back it up a little bit, uh, you know, so twenty third by by 2014, all that had kind of been decided. So 2013 is when we sent in our pre-approval packet to our agency here in America. 
and they were sort of exclusive to working with uh, Amani Baby Cottage in Uganda. And so we, we knew that we were going to be adopting from okay. Uganda, even this particular baby cottage. But even before that, we did pursue uh, domestic adoption. That wasn't something that we just kind of overlooked. Um, we, we went to a, kind of a, an adoption counselor, I guess you'd say, here in the Houston area, and she kind of guided, guided us through um, what domestic adoption looks like versus you know, foreign adoption. And so another, that's another thing we prayed about. And then on another walk, so we love our walks, right? And then, uh, <laughs> and so I just kind of said one, one night, um, I really feel like we need to adopt internationally. Like that's, that's really big on my heart. And so of course, Laura's like, she's celebrating, you know, she loves it. And then it was in that season that, um, I believe it was, uh, it was her mom, Laura's mom that actually had been in contact. So it's kind of some backstory here. Uh, to get us to Uganda, okay? So you had to understand this. Um, Laura's parents had gone to church with another family in Houston, okay, when they lived in Bear Creek. And so um, that family or that couple actually was the aunt of the, the woman who started Amani Baby Cottage. Gotcha. Oh, okay. So there was a family connection that went way back, and they were still in contact with each other. Um, and so that connection sort of started, it, it's funny how God works because he, he had even placed us on their hearts to pray for us and adoption without even knowing we had already decided we're going to try to adopt internationally. And so they got in contact. And then, uh, so we got introduced to Amani Baby Cottage through this sort of mutual family connection. And uh, the rest is sort of history, I guess you would say. We got um, sent the information from uh, New Horizons, which is the agency here in America. And uh, so basically we ran with that. There's a pre-approval process. There's an interview. There's all that kind sure, of stuff. Sure, sure. But uh, so yeah, you, Uganda became a natural choice for us because number one, we had, you know, a connection already. Um, but then also Laura from a very early age had actually wanted to always be an African uh, missionary. Okay? okay. And also to to adopt. And so she uh, she had this, sort of childhood uh, kind of desire to go do these things in yeah. Africa. And here, and like, here was this opportunity almost being just kind of laid out before us. And, right. And so it was, when God does things, sometimes they're too good to be true, honestly. <laughs> um, yes. We're just like, how did you line that up, God? You know, and only he can, I think, in the, the small little details like that. And so we, uh, yeah, so we sent in our pre-approval and by what, July 2014, yeah, July 2014, we were headed for Uganda for the first time to, to meet Elijah. We, we, we knew we weren't going to be able to stay because we didn't believe that we were going to get a court date in time for us to come back to school and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Because, um, yeah. you know, we were both teachers. Um, Laura had actually at that point accepted a children's ministry director role at the Methodist Church. At the church. So, nice. so she was actually kind of splintering off from teaching for a very, it was about a, a year or so. Um, in order to facilitate us being able to do the adoption. Yeah, so, I mean, it, the way it all worked out, uh, even that, the, the court date, what they told you is that it would be a year. Everyone told us this. It's going to be at least a year before you get a court date. So, we're like, we can't wait a year to go meet Elijah. We need to meet him this summer while we have the opportunity. And so, we went for three weeks initially in Uganda. And then um, we got back. Literally, I think it was like two weeks later, we got a call from our agency. You have a court date. Really? <laughs> yeah. And we're like, um, I thought you said this doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, and so a, another miracle of God right there. So like literally the beginning of August, we went back to Uganda and uh, prepared for a court date. And luckily, the, it worked out that way because we had to go to court three times. 
Oh, um, wow. Which is, you know, not uncommon, but it's definitely frustrating in the moment because you, you just want everything to work out. You know, we have that American sense of, you know. I want it and I want it now. I want it now. <laughs> once, once and done, done type of thing. And so um, it didn't work out that way, but I think it ended up for the better because the way the judge was reading the materials, when we got to present it to our embassy, everything was just in a row. In place. It was in place the way they wanted to see it. And it wouldn't, I don't think necessarily have been that way if he hadn't sort of dismissed us and called us back. Sure. It was actually a, it was actually a Ugandan war crimes uh, judge <laughs> wow. that, that saw our case. And so that was in the height of a lot of the things that were going on that in Nigeria helped, yeah. and uh, all sure. that area. I mean, there was a lot of upheaval in that area at that time. And so we, we actually were seeing the judge that had seen all these sort of war criminals we wow. saw on TV and all these things. And so and he's handling our adoption case. You know, it's just yeah. this, this tender thing next to this man. He's, he's dealing with literally terrorists and things. Yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, that was sort of another piece of the puzzle that was just like, you know, God, you're, you're amazing. Yeah. L- let me ask you. So you went because you didn't want to wait a year to meet Elijah. Right. So you went knowing that you were going to meet hopefully the child you were going to be able to take home at some point, mm-hmm. knowing that you were going to go home. Yes. What's going through your mind at that point? Obviously two weeks later, it all comes to fruition, right. but what's going on through your mind that two weeks? My wife and I tried going through an adoption process here in the U S mm-hmm. and we struggled with a lot of that back and forth. So, yeah. so what's going through your mind during that two weeks that, Hey, we've met the baby we're going to take, mm-hmm. but we can't get him now. That's a great question because in the end, you're, you're just trying to, in the moment, soak up as much of the affection who he is, who yeah. he is and in the country where he's literally born in and all these different things. You're, you're trying to soak in as much of that, knowing, like you said, that you're, you're going to be leaving in a few yeah. weeks. Um, and that was tough because we didn't have, obviously, at that point, any knowledge that we were going to be coming back so soon. And, and so when we, when we were there, you know, it was just fun, fun, fun. Like getting into getting introduced to him. I mean, obviously we had to have some amount of order and yeah, I wouldn't say discipline at that point, but I would just say uh, fun. We just wanted him to remember us as mom and dad and mom and dad are awesome. And they're know? coming back. And they're coming back. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so when we left, we were obviously, you know, shaken up pretty bad. Um, and then when we got to come back, it was like, you know, nothing had ever, you know, we had just kind of, that time hadn't it, gone just, by. Yeah. yeah. Just gone by so fast. And, um, uh, and, and so everything, I think, in that first round really did work out well. Um, you know, Elijah, of course, he was older. He was six at the time. And so he had ingrained in him a lot of, let's just say, behaviors that were um, hard to transition. Um, he's an amazing young man now. Uh, you wouldn't know that now. But, I mean, he was also he was also transitioning. I mean, we were, we were brand new parents. We didn't have biological yeah. children. And so we were first time parents to a six year old, to a six year old. Yeah. yeah. Skip some steps. Some would say. Exactly. So we, uh, we were, we were kind of walking in that transitioning in that, but he was also transitioning in the idea and the reality that he now had a mom and dad. And yeah. so he was pushing some boundaries. And then, you know, I had to, find, I had to come back to school cause I only had so many weeks off that I could take. Um, cause I'd already started the school year and things like that. And so, uh, yeah, I kind of a sad story. I had to fly out on my birthday. Oh, <laughs> man. Oh, I had to leave my wife and son in Uganda on my birthday, which is really sad. But um, it you seems know, to have worked out. It seems to have worked out. Yeah. So, um, and then Laura ended up staying the next what, about eight weeks till the middle oh, of November wow. by herself. And and you know, Lord, Lord really blessed um, her 
the guest house we were staying in, there were like two or three other families that were also adopting. And so there were some really godly women older than her um, that were really guiding her and helping her and encouraging her and just helping her through that process as well. And so, um, yeah, that whole first round was, looking back on it now, was more short and to the point. You know, when you look at, you know, 12 weeks versus a year (laughs) or 18 months, like there's no comparison. But uh, it really, it was like a, it was like a storm almost just like blew through real quick. Wow. As opposed to just kind of a sitting rain or something, you know, it was, uh, there was a lot to be said for how God moved that first round of adoption gotcha. because he just kind of, he, he brought it, he got us through it and he got us home. Yeah. You know? And so, um, yeah. But, yeah. And, and so you went back again mm-hmm. and you, this time you went and were in the process of adopting two. Right. So to me, it seems like it, I wonder, like you said, what would have happened if that first time was a, total nightmare you might not have wanted to go through the process again exactly uh and so but it went smooth as smooth as could be Mm -hmm. you went back for round two as i'll call it um (laughs) (laughs) you lived there for 12 months 18 months you're Mm -hmm. adopting two more kids and then you leave Mm -hmm. uh, with elijah correct and then your wife has an accident Mm -hmm. what was it like getting that call Mm. Well, uh, it's emotional for sure. Uh, you know, we were at that point, we had the knowledge that within the week, like literally, so it happened on a Friday. Um, I, we both got home from school. So me and Elijah, both, I got home from work. He got home from school. It was just kind of your normal Friday evening. Uh, went to bed. We knew the semester was coming to a close and, you know, we knew that probably next week we were going to see mom and, and brothers, and uh, we were hopeful for that. And, uh, you know, we went to sleep. I remember we actually went to bed pretty early that night, even though it was a Friday. We were just exhausted. And, uh, and yeah. so we, we were sleeping hard. And come, out, come to find out later, uh, people in Uganda had been trying to call me since about 1 or 2 in the morning, um, trying to reach me about what had happened. And of course, I'm, I'm asleep. I'm a pretty hard sleeper when I finally go to sleep. Yeah. So my body started waking up naturally around five thirty or six. And that's when Emily Salm, who's the niece of the, the orphanage founder, Deneen. So Emily calls me at about, I think it was about five thirty in the morning, Saturday morning. And I was like, she's not calling me for a good reason. No, uh, I, I immediately knew, um, just innately, uh, there's no reason she would need to be calling me right now. Um, and so I just kind of, what, what I do, some people sort of bleed into emotions. I get real stoic, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I try to hold it together and I try to compose myself so that I can react in a way that's functional, you know? Yeah. And so, cause I knew that what was about to be told to me is not going to be functional. Uh, and so she, she's of course crying. I'm going to start crying now, but, uh, she, she's, crying through the whole thing. She tells me, you know, Laura's been in a, a boat accident. So a boat is a motorcycle taxi, basically. It's, gotcha. it's how you get around in Uganda. You know, very few people actually have their own automobile. So it's a cheap form of transport. Right. But, uh, so she's been in a boat accident. Um, Jonah was with her. Jonah's okay. So we knew Jonah was, he had some scrapes and stuff on his head, but he, he, I think in, obviously in God's providence, I think he landed on Laura uh, when they were yeah. throwing wow. off the, the boat. And so, um, so Jonah's okay. He's getting, he's getting medical attention, but Laura is unconscious. She's in a coma. She's been transported to uh, Kampala, which is their capital city to what was, I mean, their, 
most prestigious hospital, you know, so they had taken her by ambulance from Jinja to Kampala, um, which in and of itself is, is kind of a treacherous thing because it's for one, it's like by our road standards, it'd probably be like going from here to, you know, Bush intercontinental. Oh, wow. But it's, it's like, like taking, taking, it's not freeways. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's like taking three and a half hours to get there. Wow. Yeah. You know, that's... and so, and that's on a good day. And so they're in a, they're in an ambulance and so we had some good friends, um, from Jinja, Jared and Stephanie Shepman. They actually were uh, directors of another ministry there in Jinja. And, uh, I think it was either Jared, I forgot which one, but one of them rode with Laura in the, in the ambulance and one followed, um, to go to the hospital. Um, and they did MRIs and, you know, CT scans and all these other things. And it was, it was hard because the news, it, I mean, because there wasn't a lot of news at that point when she called me, just that, you know, Laura's been in an accident. She's unconscious. We'll have to fill you in once we get the info. Of course, I said, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm trying to keep myself together. I say bye. She says, you probably need to call uh, Serge. You know, Serge was uh, Deneen, who was the founder of Amani. That's her husband. So, so Serge um, is a bit like, he's a, he's a business fan there in Uganda. He's, uh, he's from the UK. He's a really awesome guy, by the way, but I call Serge and he's, re- he's kind of like me in a way. He just kind of gets to the point. Right. He tells me what he knows and, but real compassionate, real, but that's what you want. That's what I wanted in the moment. You're, you're right. Yeah. And so he told me what he knew, which is a bit more hopeful. Um, he, he did mention that she was, um, at Nakasero hospital, which was, you know, by all accounts, the best hospital she could end up at to have some good quality care. And so he told me that and he told me, you know, she appears to be stable, all these other things. So after I talked to him, I kind of regained my composure again. And then I call her mom. I call Laura's mom. Oh, and man. by this point, it's probably like seven in the morning, something like that. I just kind of laid it out. And, uh, you know, Terry's a woman of great faith. Um, and so uh, Laura definitely has that lineage of faith yeah. in her family too. And so I told Terry and from the very beginning, we both sort of spoke hope and faith and miracle over the situation because we knew that there's nothing that we could do to empower what needed to be done. Only sure. God could do it. And so, um, so, so surprisingly, I mean, I know it sounds kind of maybe like I said, stoic and maybe cold a little bit, but I, I never worried. I never doubted. That sounds maybe arrogant and faith. No, that's your faith. But it, it was my faith. I was, I was, I was being kind of, I don't know, not tested. I don't, I don't think God causes those things. He allows those things, but he didn't cause the accident. You know what I mean? And so right. I just knew that whatever was going to happen, God was going to be the reason for it. And I was just going to be a witness to it, you know? And so I, I never, never asked the question, why? Wow. I didn't. And so I, I, I asked the question, what, like, what are you going to do through this? Like, how are you going to use this? Never like, why did you do it? or anything like that. Yeah. I, it was really easy to, <laughs> I, was, I was a week away from seeing my wife and two sons and all these things. I was like, why, what are you doing God? But, um, I never really did. Um, and I think that was really critical, especially once I got there and I do get a little emotional talking about it. Sorry. But, uh, seeing her for the first time, uh, just laying, laying in their ICU or what is the equivalent of their ICU. And, uh, she's of course unconscious. I mean, bruised all over her, her face and the whole bit. I mean, it was pretty ugly, but then, so God offers hope in lots of different ways. I'd been sort of singing this song, kind of an old song. It was delirious. I don't know if you're a, if you're a (laughs) nineties Christian kid, you you know who delirious is probably. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So they have this song called, uh, my soul sings, you know? and, And so, um, I'd been singing that for a while. I don't know why. I just kind of was in my head. And uh, 
God kind of showed me what it means for a soul to sing. Because my wife, who's unconscious, by the way, like no brain activity, <laughs> uh, you know, and so she's not aware of what she's doing. She's not, I would say, conscious of what, what it is she's singing, but she's praying. And, you know, she, she's, I mean, you can't really understand a lot of the words. A lot of the words wow. that you could understand, though, were, I mean, it, it related back to like, basically, God, you're good. You know, I praise you. Like all these things, and like I said, she's not aware of this. It's just, it's just her spirit. It's her soul. It's, yeah. it's, it can't help but sing, you know, to God. And so I'm like, you know, this, this is a very telling moment because we, as people who know what we're saying, <laughs> I think I have a really great responsibility to say the things that are actually like true and the things that are deep inside of us. Because here's my wife who's not aware of what she's saying and yet she's praising God, you know, and it's like, that's amazing to me. And so from that moment forward, from that, I'm serious, from that moment, I, I did not doubt once that God was going to heal her brain, allow her to walk, allow her to speak, all those things. And then, of course, the rest is sort of, sort of documented history because I kept a pretty decent log on Facebook every day I posted yeah. and stuff. And so um, just the miracle after miracle and progress that God brought, um, even to get us on a plane to be back here by Christmas. So we got here Christmas Eve, by the way, wow. Christmas Eve at like eight o'clock at night or something. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Yeah. yeah. And so it was, it was kind of a miracle just to do that. But I mean, and was that with the boys? That was too? with the boys too. The whole, the whole clan came back because, you know, we, we were all waiting. I mean, that's sort of a, a separate issue. She didn't get to finish the visa paperwork, which means when I got there, I had to not only sort of tend to her and find housing and all these other things, I had to get the visa paperwork processed and completed so that so we could, go, we could oh, all come wow. home. Yeah. So, yeah. so where's Jonah during all this time when she's unconscious in the hospital and you're a week away or however long it takes mm -hmm. you to get there? Where is he at this time? Yeah. So Jonah was actually staying with um, some other friends that we had there, uh, Sam and Morgan Knobloch. They're a really godly couple um, that were also on mission there in Ginger. And uh, so Jonah was staying with them, um, you know, because he, he absolutely loved, uh, you know, spending time with Morgan and all them. Yeah. He, he just, he just loved playing and stuff, but he was with them. And then David was actually uh, at Amani. So he stayed at Amani. He was, he was a little bit older. And so he, he was pretty well accustomed to just being there. And, you know, so all the, the aunties is what we call them. They, they took care of him. Yeah. Nice. And so, uh, so yeah, the, the boys were taken care of and, and I didn't really even see them until several days after we had arrived in Uganda because um, we just kind of wanted, we, I mean, just for their own sense of things, we wanted to distance him a little bit um, from, from yeah, seeing sure, mom that sure. way and stuff like that. And so, yeah, yeah so I, they actually got brought to me in a rush one day to get our visa interview and all that kind of stuff. Get wow. it all done. Yeah, so. Well, let's, let's fast forward just a little bit. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that Christmas Eve, you came home. Mm -hmm. How are things going now? Like, where are we at now? I mean, we can, which, which is three years later, four. Yeah, yeah so we're, we're sitting right at two. It's a little over two. Yeah, I feel like yeah. we could talk about this for a very long time. You've got a lot to unwrap here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. really want to talk forever, but I know that listeners don't want to listen forever. Absolutely, yeah. But, but where are you now, three years later, two and a half years later? Uh, I would say um, we're in a really good spot. Uh, I think, for, for one, Laura progressed uh, so fast through, um, she got, uh, admitted and accepted into Tier Memorial Herman, which is sort of the premier rehabilitative, I would say, program in in the uh, the area for sure. Uh, arguably, the country. It's it's really spe uh, sorry specific to um, like brain 
trauma and injury and stuff like that. And so they, they do some miraculous things there. And so she, she progressed through their challenge program, um, within a couple of months. And so within really, even before the end of the school year, before the spring semester was over, she had been re, I guess, hired, I guess you would say by, um, Alvin elementary, which is her old school before we left, um, to do like, uh, tutoring and some substituting and stuff like that. And so she was in a place, honestly, where she was just like classroom ready. <laughs> and she's just been this horrible accident a few months before. And it's like, what a amazing testimony that is. And then she started her master's program um, just that next uh, semester. <laughs> wasn't enough of a challenge. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't challenging her enough. So uh, exactly. So she, uh, she's actually, she has this spring semester and she has the summer to go. And then, of course, her principal certification test. But after that, she'll be you know, ready to be an, an AP or a principal or whatever wow. the case may be. And whatever so, God's calling her to be. Exactly. Right? So she is, she's doing really well. Um, you know, our family is um, really tight-knit. You know, we're, um, we're a crew. I mean, you see us coming for sure. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I would see you sitting a couple rows over at church. Mm-hmm. And so it's really neat to see. And I think for, for me, the, the, the takeaway is the attitude that you had about the situation, because I I think as a person of faith, a lot of times something bad happens. And the first thing we want to do is get angry at God. And I think you had the response that we should have. And I know I don't necessarily have that, but the, the idea of, okay, whatever's next, it's not caused by God, but he's there Mm -hmm. and he's a part of it. And so you, your job is to walk alongside him through this process for whatever it may be, mm-hmm. good, bad, or indifferent, because he's he's there with you. Goofy is the stupid footprints in the sand thing that you always saw as a kid growing mm-hmm. up. But th- to me, that's the takeaway of this conversation is that when something bad happens, when things mount up, when you have these weird things of I'm adopting, my wife is a week away from coming home with I've our two new so sons. much on yeah. my plate. Yeah. yeah. Things are going wrong you use it as an opportunity to walk alongside God instead of pushing him away. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that I needed to hear today. Yeah. And I think sure. that that's something that hopefully our listeners can walk away with as well. For sure. Yeah. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, for sure. You so, know, my, my wife and I have talked, we, we watch shows sometimes where one of their kids, they lose one of their kids to an accident or a murder or whatever the case is. And they say, I'll never forgive that guy. Mm. And it sounds like there was no blame for, from you on anybody. I mean, it could have been the driver's fault. It could have been whatever the case may be, Right. but you didn't go there at all. Mm-hmm. And the number of people that really kind of carry that with them forever, it, it's, it's really refreshing to see. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Brian. It's we my appreciate pleasure. it. Thank you to our listeners, and thank you to the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce for letting us come and record for show notes and for more about us and what's going on at 1820 Marketing and 1820 Coffeehouse. Visit us at 1820marketing.com slash podcast or on Facebook at 1820 Marketing or 1820 Coffeehouse. We stay busy. We hope you'll join us for our adventures. Thank you.